welcome to Creative Piecemeal Podcast, a podcast for creatives. I'm your host, Tammy Takeishi. Join me for compelling conversations with artists, actors, authors, musicians, and other creatives about the impact of the creative and fine arts in their lives and our ever-changing world. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to Creative Piecemeal Podcast. Today I am joined by Danny Feldman from Pasadena Playhouse. He is the producing artistic director since 2016 and Pasadena Playhouse's productions and community programs are centered on its founding idea of being a living force in its community, making theater for everyone. Today the Playhouse continues to advance American theater and serves as a hub for top theater makers of our time, but it is actually also a quite historic The theater has been founded in 1917, including premieres of works by Tennessee Williams, Eugene O'Neill, Susan Laurie Parks, and hundreds more. And it is the official state theater of California, internationally recognized for a significant role in the development of American theater. That was lovely. Hi. Hi. It's so great to have you on the show and have you talk about theater and about what got you excited So you've held this role since 2016, which of course means during the historic pandemic. How has that changed for you before and after? That's a very good question. Um, I think our world has changed. And as a theater and artists and collector, curator of artists that prides ourselves on being responsive to the world, therefore, as the world changed, we change. Uh, behaviors have changed, habits have changed. And I think we're just starting to digest really what the impact was. I think we're too close in it to really be articulate about it. We have some general broad strokes about how culture has changed. But I believe in many ways, we are chasing after an audience that is has broken down in a lot of ways. Our, our society doesn't value it any, as much as it used to do the collective experience, right? I I think maybe people still do value it, but it's not as centered in our culture anymore. The number of um, just thinking about news and media and everything, the the hours that people used to spend doing things collectively, like watching the same newscast, right? Watching the same thing at the same time, that is past us. And I think there's a huge impact on the divisiveness that we see now in the country and people living in their own silos, right? In their own echo chambers has a lot to do with our inability to gather together um, and be in shared spaces and shared experiences. And I think that is the essential theater role today that comes out of the pandemic in a, in a deeper way after so long of isolation and how that impacted people, particularly the stats of young people these days and the mental health crisis of our young people is just out of control compared to pre-pandemic times. So how are we as a society, how are we as a cultural institution addressing that and responding to that? Those are questions we ask ourselves a lot here. And that's great because young people, you know, some of them being very isolated, you know, not being able to see their friends in junior high and high school. And then, of course, the arts stopping across the board, music, theater, movie theaters, I mean, anything you can think of just paused. And then now having to restart and sort of find their footing again has been so difficult for artists, whether they're individuals touring solo or theater companies or full orchestras and festivals and things, you know? Yeah. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the world, how we like to look at it is we're now on Mars. All the rules are industry and the behaviors that were, were, you know, the things that were predictable, there's always an element of non-predictable, but the things that were predictable are far less predictable now. And the metrics have changed. And we're not that deep into the post-pandemic world to understand all of those trends yet. Mm-hmm. Speaking of trends, do you find that people gravitate more toward the upbeat or comedic or lighter theater shows? Um, I think certainly gravitate in terms of ticket sales that when they're when they're viscerally making entertainment decisions or cultural decisions, people inherently don't want to go to something that they think may make them not happy. However, our most profound audience impact have been shows that have had a little bite to them that have been captivating experiences. So I would say that never dumb down for an audience, you know, never follow the artistic impulse, the creative impulse about the world around now, what is needed in that moment. I think when we came back from the pandemic, we came back with a big here at the Playhouse, we came, we're in the first theaters to come back. And it was a big, immersive um, 80s dance musical, head over heels based on the music of the Go-Go's. And that was, we turned the theater literally on its head of taking out seats and turning things upside down and all of that. And part of it was to demonstrate at a very root level, when you walk into the space, it is not the same space you walked in before. And that is because you are not in the same space you walked in before. You know, we did start with a party, but we've we've done some serious things since then. And I think as long as it is captivating and really compelling storytelling, people respond to it, whether it's upbeat or not. Mm -hmm. And I love that you guys always have a variety. You have some things coming up. Stu running July 12th, which is um, soon through August 6th, as well as the music theater boot camp happening mid-July. And then you recently announced your 2023-2024 season. Can you tell the listeners a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Um, yeah, but first, um, Stu is a new play. Um, it's a Pulitzer finalist play that premiered right before the pandemic. Um, and we are the, the second production of it. Um, and it's it's a really powerful, powerful play. Very, very funny and really brings you into the kitchen of three generations of Black women in a, in a profound way written by a, an extraordinary new fresh voice in the American theater, Zora Howard, directed by Tyler Thomas. And it is, it's just a powerful, entertaining story. It sort of ticks all the boxes for a great night of theater. Uh, and then our, our next season starts in, right away in September with a new play called The Sound Inside. It's a thriller, again, a, a sort of edge of your seat play that really does something that only theater can do, which is be in a room with shared space with an actor and, and, and audience members and fellow members of your community and give you a riveting edge of your seat experience. There's nothing like it. It's followed by Inherit the Wind, one of the great classic plays from the 50s, but with a spin on it. We, we don't, you know, at the Playhouse, we're always sort of looking at how a play engages with the current world around us and, and where are the points of relevance. And um, it's a show, Inherit the Wind is a play inherently about banning um, books, banning ideas, throwing teachers in jail for teaching certain things, which at the time uh, was really an allegory about McCarthyism in America. It is now um, literal about what is going on in the country in many places. And so so the show will feel wildly relevant in that way. It's followed by a holiday show. And then we have the amazing, amazing Kate Berlant, who um, is an extraordinary talent who has written one of the best one woman shows I've ever seen. Uh, and so we are delighted to bring it here. Uh, it started in New York. Actually, it started being developed in Los Angeles and then went to New York and now is coming back. And then we have a world premiere play that we commissioned called One of the Good Ones. 
a play that takes place in Pasadena, which is exciting for us. And then we close the season out with Jelly's Last Jam, one of the great, great musicals of the last 50 years that has not had um, a resurgence like many of the Sondheim musicals have had. This is much lesser known for a variety of reasons, and we hope with our production we can show our community and show the world that this belongs in the ranking of top, top, top musicals. Excellent. Like I said, I love that you guys have a variety from plays to musicals and musical theater camps for people and that you're also elevating marginalized voices or pieces that have sort of sat and gotten a little bit dusty on the shelf. You know, I think that's fantastic that you're bringing those to light for new audiences or for people to rediscover in in new interpretations. Absolutely. I think what we see when we do a classic is is a majority of our audience are saying, I've never seen that before. I've heard of that, but I've never seen that. So to many people, Inherit the Wind is a like a world premiere play. It's a new play for them. And that informs our approach of it, right? We're not doing a version of anything here that is looking backwards. It's how do we meet the text? How does our creative team that we assemble engage with the themes and ideas in the play in a very contemporary lens? I love that. We're going to backtrack a little bit. And I would love to know, how did you get your start on the creative journey? And, you know, what led you to Pasadena Playhouse? It's a it's a wild, weird journey that is not a straight line in any ways. And that's, um, we love that, right? I was a pianist, actually. I was a classical pianist and studied piano from a very young age. And it wasn't until late in high school that I connected um, to musical theater in the sense of, being an accompanist from one of my high school productions late in high school and started understanding there was a possible career path there of sort of marrying two things that I liked. I was really overly drawn to the sense of community that you experience when putting on a show, particularly in high school, and sort of chasing that ever since. As a little kid, I would always put on shows in my backyard just to put them on. So I'm sort of connecting all of the things that made me happy for a while. And I started studying uh, to be a music director. So I was studying to be a conductor, music director, and then sort of slipped into producing um, in, a, in a natural way of a group of friends said, let's put on a show. Someone's got to like write some checks, I guess, back then to buy things. And so I took charge of that, didn't really know what I was doing. But I figured it out. As most things, you can just figure out. And then that started my journey. So I started working um, in theater that way, self-producing, became um, a company manager of a theater company here in LA and moved all the way up there to executive director. Before I knew it, I was in New York running Labyrinth Theater Company, which was a really awesome off-Broadway artist-centric theater. And I was there for six years uh, and then and brought a show to Broadway when I was there at the time and then came back to L.A., my hometown, for Pasadena Playhouse to try to reboot the Pasadena Playhouse, which at the time in late 2016 was going through some real struggles. That is fascinating. And I imagine that, of course, nobody is without some barriers in their lives. Is there something that you're particularly proud of overcoming in your time to reach your career? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I still have a tremendous stage fright, which is why I'm not an actor. But just standing in front of people, leading a team, leading a creative team was always sort of a crippling experience. And I now do that regularly. Later today, I'm speaking in front of the city government of Pasadena, and I'm not nervous about it right now. So so I guess I've overcome that. I need to figure out what I'm saying, but uh, I, I'm not nervous about the experience anymore. And I think the lesson on that is, you know, the more you do, you just, you kind of don't have time to be nervous about it anymore. True, true. I imagine you probably do a lot of presentations and meetings in your position. Yeah, or just talking to folks and 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 
getting folks to come along, to come together and come, particularly folks with different perspectives and different backgrounds. That is our strength. That's our strength as a company here at Pasadena Playhouse. That's a strength in when we put teams together to make shows. Um, that is a strength in our communities and our audiences. And I think that is um, something we're deeply passionate about bringing folks together. Does the Playhouse have any traditions you're allowed to talk about in terms of like after you put on a show or anything like that? We all take naps because we're tired. Um, <laughs> no, we work very hard here because we care about what we're doing and we care about the people doing that. So we try to create um, a culture and an environment where people can do their best work, just simply put. We have a big opening night of every show and I do a big speech at opening night. I stand on our fountain. That's one thing. We call it the fountain speech where I get up on the fountain and thank everyone. And we have a ritual when an employee who's been here for a bit um, leaves. We have a bell called the Jory Bell, J-O-R-Y. And that is our bell that is only rung when to, to get the audience into the theater. It's been here for a long time, sort of an old tradition here at the Playhouse, that when it's time to go in, either before the show or at intermission, you hear a bell ring. And we, when an employee leaves the Playhouse, we let them ring the bell. Otherwise, you cannot touch the bell. Um, so it's sort of like one last ringing of the bell, which is which is a lovely tradition that we started when I got here. Oh, that's nice. I like that. Speaking of plays and musicals, are there any plays and musicals that you personally would love to see at the Pasadena Playhouse? Um, like, and it's just not happened yet. I can't share any of that with you. There's so, so, so many, but that is what my future seasons are going to be. And I don't oh. share that as I'm working on things. <laughs> top secret. Uh, Got will, it. <laughs> yes, it's totally top secret. Top secret. I can't share that. But yes, I have, I'm bursting with ideas on what to do. Ideas aren't the problem. It's the, the, lim the time and money, right? That are the limitation. True, true. Well, can I at least ask, are you allowed to say what your personal favorite musical is? So I'm going to give a sort of cop-out answer to that, but it is usually my answer, which is it's my favorite musical is always the one I'm working on. So right now, that would be Jelly's Last Jam. It just finished being a little night music because we closed that in, in late May, June. So I'm now very much getting in the headspace of Jelly's Last Jam, which is a year from right now we'll be doing. And we're just starting to plan and put um, serious things together for that. So Jelly's Last Jam is my favorite musical, shortly followed by the musical The Year After, which I'm in the middle of narrowing down. Nice, nice. Well, that's good, though, because it shows a true passion for what you do and that you dive in 110% if whatever you're working on is your favorite. Yeah, I think you. I think um, we have to get our heads around all of the things we're working on. And again, to create a space, which is what we do here at the Playhouse for artists to do their best work and to engage with them, that I have to know when I'm picking something that I can throw my whole body and soul into it, that this is that we get five slots a year, five stories a year, we're going to tell and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of possibilities. Why are those five going to be picked? Why are they extra special in what way? Why are they, you know, why are they for right now? What about right now means all of these have to exist. So ob obviously balancing with financial ramifications and, and all of those things, themes and ideas and how not to have too many similar things. But it's a it's a maze, and I'm I'm glad we just announced next season, and then I have a little breath before I have to start planning the season after. That sounds like quite the task. Definitely like a puzzle to put together. A puzzle is exactly right. You with a little piece of sky and a little piece of ground and a little piece of this and that, <laughs> and how it all um, when added up together tells a story. Together, um, looking at past seasons also of what body of work and what um, viewpoint this theater has. Every cultural institution has a specific viewpoint or a box they're operating in, right? Mm -hmm. You wouldn't see 
a certain kind of play at this theater. You would see a certain, you would see a certain kind of show at this theater versus this one. And so how do we um, define that? What are the rules around that? And what are our, um, our key indicators that we're staying on that and we're, we're doing that well? I'm going to dive into a couple personal questions for you. Oh, no. Um, yep. So you, you said you grew up playing piano, but if you could play any other instrument, um, what would you want to explore? My degree was actually music education, which means I had to play every instrument. I had to learn every instrument, not learn it well, but play, but learn it. My favorite instruments, aside from piano, are cello and French horn. I was not a particularly good cello player, but I love sort of hugging the instrument and playing it. French horn, I love, and I was so terrible at. I could not get it. I still love it. We actually had three French horns in our last musical because I love it so much, but I am terrible at it. So I wish I could actually play that. Those are some good instruments. I also did a music education major, but um, I happened to play strings. So that part was easy. But yeah, French horn was was beautiful. So beautiful. Yes. Challenging. Challenging in terms of, uh, you know, a lot of circle of fifths action going on in harmonics. Yeah. 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 I found the saxophone and clarinet to be the most challenging when I took those classes. Really? Okay. I play clarinet. I actually am okay at clarinet. Saxophone's easy, though. I think saxophone's easy. If you've been feeling burned out, stressed, overwhelmed, or exhausted, the resources and courses at the Self-Care Institute are here to support you. The Self-Care Institute was founded by Dr. Ami Kunimura and provides support for individuals and organizations with burnout prevention, burnout recovery, and stress management. I've personally taken a few of these courses and found them to be super helpful, both professionally and personally. The care you give yourself matters just as much as the care you give to others. But if self-care is difficult for you, you're not alone. And the Self-Care Institute is here to support your well-being, resilience, and sense of fulfillment at work and at home. For more information, visit selfcareinstitute.com or go to the show notes and click on the link. Come on. They sound really cool, but it was like, oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> If you could describe yourself in one word, what would that be? Passionate. I can see that. I can see that. <laughs> so I'm sure you probably read quite a few um, scripts and plays and things like that. But there are there any books that you've read for fun that you could read over and over and never get tired of? Oh, um, so I am nerd when it comes to my reading. I usually read nonfiction. And I usually read um, what other people around me call boring business books. I like reading them. I like I, I like challenging myself in those ways because I never, you know, my my background was in the creative side, but my job requires me to do 50 50. Um, and so I feel overdeveloped or not overdeveloped, but I feel like I have good systems and structures and wiring in my brain for the creative thinking but I'm less developed on the business management and those things. And so I read those books. So there's, there's a book called Getting Things Done, which I read every year. It's a nice uh, primer on a system of thinking of how to accomplish tasks when you have too many and how do you uh, structure your work. And so anyway, I read that book, which is not a, a really thrilling creative answer on a creative podcast, but it is about the underpinnings of creativity and what you have to do um, to create the space so you have the blue sky thinking that you need. Of course, of course. And that is so important because, you know, when people are stifled, it's hard to create. 
That's correct. Or if you're, you know, if your place is physically cluttered, it's hard to create. You know, you definitely have to make that space both mentally and physically to be able to be at your optimum levels. Absolutely. Fully agree. Back to Pasadena Playhouse. I, again, I love that you have such diverse selections. And would you be comfortable speaking a little bit more about diversity in the arts? Absolutely. You know, our founding idea at the Pasadena Playhouse is we make theater for everyone. And we believe that the act of coming together, whether it's artists coming together or audience coming together with community members to experience a story, is a uniquely profound experience. There's all of the um, going to the theater is like a creativity gym, right? The number one thing businesses say when they're looking for employers is we want creative people. How, when you're out of school and in a professional setting, how are you working on your creativity? And there's a connection between seeing art and seeing theater and using imagination because a beautiful but silly thing happens in a theater where a group of strangers sit in a room together and the lights go off and they all play pretend with each other. They know the thing they're watching is fake. They're not dumb. They understand the person crying on stage is not really crying. They're pretending to be crying. And yet, collectively, when done right, we all go on the journey and we feel what they are feeling. And that is very rare. You don't get that even in movies, particularly with a live performer, right? And so we believe here that, number one, everyone should have that experience. And you see that in terms of our accessibility offerings for price, for our open caption performances, because we want to make sure, particularly a state theater of California, we're as as public-minded as possible, um, making sure everyone, we remove all the barriers so everyone can share it. But we also fundamentally believe that the collisions of different ideas and different people and different things is actually where progress happens in the world. For us, what that looks like is collisions in all the different ways, collisions in people who are different from one another, engaging with one another in an audience, collisions in the kind of stories being told on the stage that might not ever be on a stage like this, collisions in what defines theater and what are the boundaries of that and how do we stretch out of a a traditional sitting in a space and experiencing a show. And so we're always looking here for the diverse collisions. So on a literal level, it could mean the, 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 you know, ethnic backgrounds of folks together working together, but we are constantly putting teams together and making sure they are diverse across many different axes and, and levels of diversity from gender and, you know, all different points of view of how we think that when all of those things collide together, great things can happen interesting things can happen. And so that is really our perspective on diversity, which is why it's so central for us to make sure the stories we tell are representative of our community, because we live in one of the most diverse places on the planet here in the greater Los Angeles area. And so how do we reflect that back? California is just one of the most diverse places on the planet. So the state's theater, the state theater of California um, should represent that and understand that and play with that here on our stage. That's excellent. I've only been to California once, but it makes me so excited to hear you talking about it and, you know, seeing the lineups from years past and what's upcoming, you know, because it sounds like a wonderful, passionate and safe place to go and experience some amazing, amazing works. A couple more questions. One is, what is your favorite part of the creative process? Oh, my favorite part. I just, you know, I like finding people who are smarter than me and more creative in different ways and getting them all in a room and seeing what comes out of it. So I, I think the surprise of 
going into something, having a certain level of expectations and then being surprised and seeing different versions of that, that, that challenge you. So going in open to, to changing your mind and letting other people bounce off of each other and see what they come up with. I think that's always a delight. Excellent. And then last question, what in your own words, does it mean to live a creative life? Aside from the cliche, look, thinking out of the box, right? But it really is changing viewpoint, changing lens, looking at something that maybe everyone sees in a certain way, you know, whether this is sort of, you know, when folks do anti-bias training and those kind of things, it's usually aimed at how are we dealing with other humans and that, but it's the same principles apply that I think I'm always, when I see great art that I like, it's usually someone finding a unique perspective and point of view on something I thought I knew or I was thinking about in one way and all of a sudden getting into the mind of another human being and seeing them thinking about it in a different way. And so I love that and I love creative problem solving of how do we look at what's ahead of us and, and problems or, you know, problems in the world or everything like how you look at a tree outside and how you see that tree and what does it do and really noticing it and, and thinking about it. That is a creative lifestyle to me of, of really looking at the world with a different lens than most people are looking at it. Excellent. I love that. Before we go, anything else you would love to say to uh, the listeners? Listeners should be supporting their regional theaters. A lot of theaters around the country, we're nonprofit theaters. We're not Broadway tours. We make our work. We hire a lot of local people here, here and in your community, wherever you're listening. And theaters have had a tough time post-pandemic more than others. And so more than other industries. And I think this is an important moment. Most theaters that I know have some level of access um, ticket pricing. So cost is usually a barrier for a lot of people who want to go to the theater. But if you dig in and look, don't just stop by saying price is a barrier. There's a lot of ways here at the playoffs. You could volunteer and usher a show and see it for free. All of our tickets start at 35 bucks, so you can see it for that price point. But theaters are, are doing great work all around the country and committed to telling diverse stories and, and opening up their doors wider. So this is a great moment for people listening to invest in their communities, to invest in their community cultural institutions, become a member, become a ticket buyer, volunteer, or a lot of them are going to go away. And We've already started seeing the signs of that. So this is this is a real important moment to step up. Excellent. Well, Danny, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And listeners, again, please check out the show notes to learn more about Pasadena Playhouse. And as Danny said, please get involved in your local theaters because it's a wonderful art and we definitely would love to keep that all around. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Like the show? Have a question? Stop by the Facebook and Instagram pages. Links are in the show notes or search for creative piecemeal podcast on social media and click follow for all the latest.